Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. Hey there, it's Ron. Today we're taking a trip into the past to hear one of our favorite storytellers, Kelly Attaway. This was Kelly's first time sharing a story at The Narrators from back in October 2017. The theme of the show was In the Dark. Okay, let's do this. I never cry about my own feelings, but I will openly weep full-on heaving sobs over movies and TV and books at the slightest provocation. And I hope never to fully explore whatever that's about. I mean, I know what that's about. I grew up in a household where emotional vulnerability was a weakness that would absolutely be exploited. You get good at taking any feelings that might betray you and tucking them into the dark, hidden places inside yourself, and you get good quick. It's harder to get good at letting them back out. So that's how I am, guarded and coarse. I've got the spines of a porcupine and the pricks of a cactus and the goddamn nails of an Iron Maiden, my friends. Most of the time, this is totally fine, a boon even. Sure, it's weird that I cried so hard at La La Land, but you should see me handle emotionally taxing situations. I can handle a crisis like nobody's business. You got a crisis that needs handling? Pop it into these old grubby mitts. For example, four years ago, I moved away from everything I had ever known without batting an eye. Just up and moved to Boulder where I knew no one and had nothing, and the only way you could tell was because I suddenly had a calendar filled with meeting notifications titled Farewell Drinks. More than once, I've narrowly escaped what surely would have been a fatal car accident, except I'm good under pressure. A friend screaming in the passenger seat, grabbing at the window of all things, as she realizes we're hydroplaning in nearly a foot of water, careening somehow simultaneously toward the SUV in front of us and the edge of the bridge toward the left, and me, cool as a dang cucumber. I turned to her and calmly said, the brakes are not working, and did my best to steer. Fine. It was fine. Hell, I even made it through the campaign season of 2016 without shedding a single tear. <laughs> Admittedly, election night was a different story, but considering how it played out, I would argue you can categorize that as crying over reality TV and not crying about myself. <laughs> so it can also unsurprisingly push people away. I mean, that is literally what it was designed to do, so duh, but it's not something I'm brandishing on purpose anymore. It's a complex Rube Goldberg machine of automatic defense weapons set to deploy at any passing target, innocence be damned, and I lost the codes to disarm them years ago. And I tried zero, 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 zero. No dice. It means when my best friend was broken up with by her first love, my response was less than great. She was devastated, crying and unable to eat. She cut and dyed her hair, painted her nails, changed her hobbies, desperately trying to be a different person who wasn't still in love and also alone. This, to a teenaged me, was exceptionally and needlessly dramatic. I earnestly asked, but don't you know how to just stop feeling that way? Compartmentalization is a special skill of mine, but I thought it was factory standard. It means when my oldest friend, after 15 years, thanks me for being a consistent and reliable source of support, I don't know what to say. I fill that role by listening, not participating. 
After he spends two hours working through his struggle to find his place in a social circle newly overrun by poets, a circumstance too exhausting to explain, with me bearing witness to his thoughts, he asks, am I okay? He gently reminds me our friendship can and should go both ways, that he's always there for me. I don't tell him what he means to me, that I'm still grateful he was so kind and loyal in high school when things were hardest, that I still remember when I made him promise to meet me at a bar in 10 years, and he agreed but said it wouldn't be this romantic scene I was imagining because we'd still be friends. It was just going to be another night at the bar. I don't tell him I'm glad he was right. I don't tell him that I spent the day and every day listening to podcasts like a speech jammer for my thoughts. I don't tell him how lonely I am, that sometimes I worry my heart will stop from it, even though, according to WebMD, that feeling is probably just cancer. (laughs) No documented cases of death by loneliness. Several sources cited. Instead, I say, thanks, buddy, and send him a gif of a winking Kate McKinnon circa Ghostbusters. I'm like a boxer the way I bob and weave away from prying questions. It means I'm constantly mean to myself bullying the soft, small part who maybe accidentally reached out to someone when the tough gatekeeper fell asleep at her post with the aid of a bottle of whiskey. That type of vulnerability will get a girl killed, Attaway. And what has it ever gotten us? Someone asks, how are you? And I try to explain that I am sick. My insides are like a swamp, gnarled roots reaching up out of the muck, trees draped with moss silhouetted against a low, gray sky, stretching against a path already threatening to suck you in and under. And I get a change in subject, or at best, an exasperated, have you thought about talking to somebody? Yes, I want to scream, I thought about talking to you. But I know that that's not what they mean, and I don't want to seem willful, so I remind myself not to bother them again, and make a joke about how I actually just picked a therapist the other day because she had a dog in her profile picture. But I never do call her. And so the space I manufactured between me and everyone else is growing, inching even my closest friends further away And with every experience, I'll never have, because I don't know how. Boyfriends, girlfriends, parents, marriage, kids, love. All common ground you won't find on the shores of this man-made ocean between us. And they know, or at least they sense it. They don't share that part of their lives with me, which I get I'm not good at sharing in it. I say shitty things like, I'm not convinced in the existence of love, when I'm the only single person in the room. And marriage is just a promise to get divorced to my newly engaged friends. (laughs) I spend wedding showers ferreting away empty champagne flutes under couch cushions and behind books, so when I go to the bar for another wide-eyed, feigning enthusiasm, I can pretend it's my first glass. But of course I believe in love, same as I believe in, say, poker. Obviously it exists, but it doesn't make sense no matter how many times I read the Wikipedia page on Texas Hold'em. And at this point... Nobody has the patience to teach me. I did want to be in love once, or tried at least. We'd been friends for two years in college before one day, inexplicably, we were inseparable. He'd meet me outside my last class Friday afternoon with a thermos full of liquor and a go-get-em attitude. He'd knock on my window in the middle of the night asking me to come out and play, probably annoying my endlessly patient roommate who handled it with grace. We'd help each other study for hours, even though he was a psychologist and I was a computer scientist, and really we were probably slowing each other down, but that wasn't the point. It was a shady front for the speakeasy of our excuses to spend time together. 
late night studying, turned into late night watching movies, turned into late night drinking, turned into all night talking with a capital T. He told me his dreams and plans and hopes, and I told him all the worst parts of myself, all of the nightmare memories I still can't shake. He was moving forward, and like some Faulknerian creation ripped from the page, I was obsessed with the past. I tried to bring him into the dark with me rather than letting him help me into the light. I tried to love him as best I could intensely and without complexity, a two-dimensional love. Our first kiss was because of a game of spin the bottle, and our last because he went home for Christmas break where he fell in proper love with a girl who isn't an autoclave. I read a story recently that included the sentence, love is both how you become a person and why, and I can't get it out of my head. That can't be true, at least not necessarily and certainly not exclusively, but I can't help imagining myself fading out of my friends' lives like a photographed Marty McFly as they become more and more grounded in the love and personhood they have made and tend while I sink deeper and deeper into my bad attitude. The unfortunate thing about real-life stories is they don't always come neatly packaged. I wish I could end this with some kernel of self-realization or hope or like, surprise, this is a journal entry from 10 years ago, I'm better now. <laughs> but the rule is true stories at the narrators, and I'm a bad liar anyway. The truth is, I want to cut and dye my hair, change my hobbies, and be someone else. But I keep thinking about this regular at a bar I used to go to, a middle-aged man, always alone and always shit-faced, sitting at the piano, slurring through the same song night after night. And that's me, probably. That's my ghost of futures yet to come. So maybe this story ends with me getting piano lessons. Thanks. Kelly Attaway, everyone. Um, thank you for that. That was incredible. This is why I love the narrators, is because of things like that. Um, I think terrible things about people's marriages in my head. I just don't say it. <laughs> I just don't say it out of my mouth. Narrators was created by Andrew Orvidal and is produced by me, Ron Doyle, Sidney Crane, and Aaron Rollman, with help from Robert Rutherford, Scott Carney, and Jesse Witten. The episode was edited and mixed by Karen Wachtel. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Bumport Theater Company, Illegal Pete's from the Hip Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Wellhawk, and we'd also like to thank Jobless, provided the outro music you're listening to right now. As always, a huge shout-out to fans just like you who attend our live monthly shows, which take place every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. For more information about our storytellers or the narrators, visit thenarrators.org. Find, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hey, I did it in one take. Wow, 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 wow. So I'll just piss her around.